0: The governors uh, got together and said, Look, let, let's play for a hog. Let's play for a pig.
1: Ben and Eric gather at their laptops. One's a for one's a Hawkeye. Hello, everybody. I Welcome to the pot of Rosedale. Watch. LeBron's fake ball hot takes. It's the moment you've all been waiting for. None of that Sky U blog gopher talk. We're here talking Iowa. The special guest, John Steppy of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Eric is here also. Eric, do you want to say hi? Sorry.
0: Yep, I'm fun here. Fun I, I'll still talk Iowa Hawkeyes. I'll I'll, I'll join in the fun.
1: Uh, John, thank you very much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So as we dive into it, I, I think there's one question that's on every Hawkeye fan's mind. I don't even think I need to say it, but do you know what it is? Do you know what I want to ask you about? I'm guessing it's two, the it's two words. <laughs> Not place kicker. <laughs> I think the nope. first word might be Cade. Mm-hmm. The second word might be McNamara. You got it. Oh, exactly right. Where is he at health-wise? As with this, is this is Tuesday night, August 29th, four days before game day. What are the prospects that he takes some snaps during the actual live real game football?
2: Well, the word that comes to mind with it is questionable. And he was very careful not to say definitively, hey, I'm going to play or hey, I'm not going to play. Kurt Ferentz was careful to not say anything definitive. Somebody asked him about it being questionable then that Cade might play, and his word was absolutely. So you can enjoy the idea of absolutely questionable, but (laughs) those two words really don't go together very often but it's very much still up in the air he has been medically cleared to practice that is a big hurdle there he has been practicing since late last week it's a question of is he looking like Cade mcnamara again he did miss two weeks of fall camp and that is not an insignificant portion so that's the wild card there and the other thing too that kirk wasn't going to say kirk Cade was not going to say this either Is But I can say in my position, you're looking at a team that you're a 25-point favorite against this Saturday. You've got Iowa State in a week. And Iowa State obviously has lost a lot of players to the gambling scandal. Already it was going to be a question how good they were really going to be even without that dark cloud there. So even with those factors, it's still the difference between a team pick to finish eighth in the Mountain West and a Big 12 team. And you're looking at two different tiers of teams. You're looking at a road trip, a place where I'm sure Iowa State would like to keep the Cy-Hawk trophy. So there are a lot of incentives to maybe rest him and avoid getting things worse where you don't want him to miss Iowa State. You don't want him a couple weeks later to miss Penn State. Utah State, in the grand scheme of things, is a small thing. But if there's anything that's known about Cade McNamara, it's how competitive he is. And he's going to want to play as soon as possible. But at the end, they'll be down to coaches and the medical staff was what Cade reminded us of. And we'll see what that ends up being. We'll probably find out two hours before
1: kickoff on Saturday. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no more game time decisions. We at least get two hours heads up. So you you already, like, my next question is going to be, what do you you think the fact that Utah State is an overwhelming underdog and had a really terrible defense last year going to impact the decision? It sounds like, yeah, that they're going to err on the side of caution. So then let's assume we don't have Cade McNamara. Is Deacon Hill the Iowa starting quarterback on Saturday? Yeah, and of course that's a big if with
2: whether Cade McNamara will or will not be available, but – Kurt Ferentz made it clear that Deacon Hill right now would be QB, 2 Joe Labus did a lot of impressive things in the Music City Bowl. The big issue goes down to his health status. He was out for even more time than Cade McNamara was this fall camp. He's back practicing now. But can you really expect a quarterback to be back up to game speed after being able to practice one of the last several weeks? That's really a tall task to ask for Joe Avis. So it's up to Deacon Hill, who did not look great in the kids' day open practice. Has a great arm. The question is to be accuracy. And Iowa really needs an accurate quarterback. And if it goes down to Deacon Hill, yeah, that could be a challenge there in terms of just running Iowa's system. You need an accurate quarterback.
0: It's interesting. You mentioned the uh, gambling scandal that. Iowa State kind of got embroiled in it. So their their quarterback, was he charged, correct, and dismissed yeah, from so, the school?
2: Um, Deckers was charged. He is, I'm pretty sure, no longer with the team. There are so many of these that it feels like I need a chart to keep track yeah. of them. Like, I've got the Iowa ones, like,
0: memorized. Well, th- <laughs> so that's what I was going to ask is, like, did Kirk Ferentz have some meetings? Like, all right, nobody gambling. It's off limits. Do you know if there was any sort of, like, mandate? brought down
2: from the team? Well, part of the education of pretty much any student-athlete is to be that they should not be gambling and that it's against NCAA rules. Now, athletes obviously didn't quite follow that, and we saw that in large numbers, whether it be the current or former players that were charged the criminal probe, whether it's the players that we know have been implicated but not criminally charged. You take somebody like... Former Iowa baseball player Keaton Anthony hasn't been charged. Noah Shannon, Iowa defensive lineman, has not been charged. But regardless of who you're talking about, they knew that these rules were in place. They violated them. Obviously, for someone like Noah Shannon to potentially have his career end would be really sad to see over a bet that wasn't on his own team. But that's kind of the circumstances of where we are. I'm sure they're going to rebuff that education, and that's something that Beth Getz has talked to me about doing, the new incoming AD, about really meeting this education, meeting athletes where they are, and that being important. Although at the same time, I don't think there's any motivational program you could use that is as effective as seeing some of your teammates lose eligibility. I think that is be as much of a motivator as
1: anything. Yeah. burnt hand teaches best for sure. So on the note I know they're trying to appeal the suspension. do they have you gotten any information on the likelihood that that will be reduced at all? Do you think, are they optimistic really? Do you have any insights? I would be pretty much guessing here. I think okay. it's fair enough. Now there are mitigating
2: factors that go into a lot of these cases. I'm sure they'll be hitting up as many of those mitigating factors as possible. The challenge is that the NCAA guidelines that they that these are not old guidelines, these are guidelines they updated earlier this summer, says that somebody in Noah Shannon's case could potentially face permanent loss of eligibility, which is essentially what this one year suspension would do for a sixth year senior. But I think it's a tough case, but you never know. I think, you know, you have to try it if you're Noah because it could. There are cases of very often suspensions getting reduced, maybe not from a year to only like three games or anything. But if it gets reduced from a full year to nine games, that would even be something. Now, I'm just speculating here. This is not any, you know, it's everyone is kind of just guessing at this point. Kurt Fairens I don't think, has a good idea of it. I don't think Beth gets his good idea of it yet at this point. So it's a process that is in progress, Kirk said, for him. But in terms of what that could look like, still too early to say.
1: Okay, so one final question on the gambling topic, and then we can move on. But I know Kirk has been kind of frustrated that the state of Iowa in particular seems to be targeted. Is that just, is there any insights about why they can't? It's not, I can't, it is hard to believe that the only athletes gambling on sports are in the state of Iowa. Is there any reason, do we have any speculation as to why just, or just just some explanation why it's only athletes in the state of Iowa that got busted for this?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. And a couple of things, the first thing that I'd point out to is the fact that it's a state investigation and you're looking at these state laws are getting investigated by the Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation. So that's where, like when you have the FBI college basketball scandal and you're talking about federal crimes, you're seeing a more nationwide scope of that investigation. Here when you specifically have the Iowa DCI investigating it, that's why you've got Iowa and Iowa State really wrapped up in this. And it really is dependent on a lot of these state agencies because the state agencies have subpoena power and the criminal complaints are referencing these subpoenaed records from DraftKings and FanDuel. But the NCAA doesn't have subpoena power and the NCAA has even said that a frequent source of detection is when gambling operators or gambling regulators notify them and by state law or by law in many places it is required for them to notify the NCAA of this. But regardless they are oftentimes relying on states to investigate this just because of their legal boundaries that they have to play by. And they do have other tools in terms of being able to find this, but the state investigation is really a key tool for them discovering these. And Iowa seems to have been unlucky for how effective
0: the DCI has been at doing their job. Just better at busting gamblers, I guess. I don't know. Don't, I, yeah. I, learned, I learned don't use your brother's name, right? Wasn't one of the guys was using his brother's name as a, or his a brother's account or something? Yeah, well, the other
2: thing too is not just don't use their name, but if you're gonna use somebody else's name, these bets get geo tracked so they can see that you are doing it from I'm gonna take as an example the Hansen Football Performance Center. Now, I don't know which specific locations on campus. They didn't specify, okay, it was inside the Kinnick locker room or was inside the Hanson Football Performance Center. But if you're going to bet, you would think that keeping in mind the geo-tracking on it and not doing it from university locations.
1: Yeah, you probably just tell your brother, you know, Eric, just – Hey, just put this bet well, in, but like yes. that would be what I'm. You would I'm get. gonna be
0: at tailgate on Saturday. Is like, so should I go up next to the stadium and put some bets in, see if I can get tracked down, or you if all of a sudden you get it. a phone call, <laughs> yeah, get a yeah. phone call. The regulators are coming after me. Well, uh, unless you have a D1 athlete that you're directly related to, no, I don't my, know. my eligibility's passed. <laughs> yeah.
2: and that's the one question too that I get that I don't really have an answer to is how did they discover this? Now, the fact that they have cited the geo tracking or the locations in the criminal complaints, the fact that they know it these are not or that these were placed at locations including their university residence, that is obviously significant. Do we know that that's what exactly caught them? We don't know yet that yet, and we probably won't until farther along in the court proceedings. So that is the one asterisk that I will put on that is we don't know exactly how it was discovered, but that would be one logical explanation
1: for it. There's enough space there that that's where some of the conspiracy theories maybe come in. Okay. Yes. So let's get back to another really fun topic, the <laughs> Iowa offense. So we talked quarterback <laughs> in the hope for improvement. I think priority one, you know, maybe better quarterback priority two, offensive line certainly have heard some stuff that maybe they've gotten better. Is that what you've seen? Do you get the impression that another year of developing a little better health and the offensive line is actually being qualitatively better in 2023? I've been hearing from a lot of
2: people who are really optimistic about this position group. Certainly Kirk Ferentz is at the top of the list at media day. George Barnett, the offensive line coach was telling me about how he has competition finally and how that makes a big difference it seems like a small thing, but having a lot of guys who are able to compete where you have somebody like Rusty Fath who's had a lot of FBS snaps as a second teamer technically right now. You've got Bo Stevens, the guy who's taken reps at Iowa in a fairly significant number. He's a second teamer right now. So you have competition there, and there is a lot of optimism there. The issue is we just get such a small sample size in terms of what I've personally been able to see. And looking back at the kids day practice, the defensive line very much got the best of the offensive line. When Brian Allen Jr., really second year kid, is really shining against this offensive line. Yes, he's a really talented player. It also poses the question of, okay, is this just a really good defensive line? Which makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of reason to give a lot of benefit of the doubt to this defensive line, or is this offensive line not up to standard yet? So, is there reason to believe that's me be better than last year? Absolutely. Is this going to be a Joe Moore Award-winning group? I have not seen evidence of that. So, some improvement. How much? That's going to be a thing that may be really curious to see this Saturday and the eleven Saturdays after that.
0: Yeah, and I mean looking at the offense as a whole, I I think part of it might from my perspective is play calling is is maybe part of the issue. Do you see there's any change in offensive philosophy going into next year? Brian
2: Fearns has made it I didn't want to to say his name. (laughs) Well, I'll say it for you. There's the interaction between me and Brian that I heard about like 15 times afterward from his spring press conference where I brought up that, hey, you're coming off back to back subpar years of offensive results. What are you going to do differently this year to make sure that not having the same conversation a year from now? He said something along the lines of we're going to do the same things. We're going to do it better, John. So that doesn't necessarily
1: give fans a ton of hope about perfect changes. I try to do it silently, but I have been laughing. The second Eric asked the question, I just started (laughs) cackling as silently as I could.
0: Just do it better. I mean, makes perfect sense to me. We've
1: heard the the execute better thing for decades at this point. So it sounds like, yeah, even if it is broke, don't fix it. Got it. And in reality, there are gonna be some
2: changes that still get made as much as Brian didn't signal it in that April press conference, where he probably didn't wanna be talking to reporters in general. Sure. Just in terms of, okay, what is he gonna say after another year of such bad results? So there is that too. But it's reasonable to expect some tweaks just because everyone does. But are you gonna see a wholesale new offensive scheme All indications point toward no on that. Is that like Wisconsin with the air raid? Yeah, I don't think this is going to be an air raid season at Iowa. It'll make for a fascinating matchup in Madison this year when you have the team that's sticking to its guns, sticking to its proven formula with the offense that's trying to evolve in Madison. And, yeah, I'm fascinated by that game. But, yeah, you're not going to be seeing air raid Iowa, I don't think, this season that's for sure
1: but that's a good transition Uh, transition speaking of airing it out not. i mean we're just going down down the list of problems with iowa's offense in 2022 wide receivers certainly some injuries didn't have keegan johnson charlie jones transferred please tell me i'm not just being a homer when i say the wide receiver room is better than last year in 2023 they certainly gained some talented weapons, but
2: they also lost Kean Johnson and they lost Arlen Bruce. And of course, how much would Arlen Bruce be doing this year? Now we know the gambling stuff. Yeah. That's a whole other conversation. But you're losing two very productive wide receivers. Kean hasn't been productive since 2021 because of health. But two people that have shown an ability to make plays. But then you gain Seth Anderson, who looked really good at points in the kids' day practice. You're gaining Caleb Brown, who has incredible potential. When you think about a guy who Ohio State wanted at wide receiver. Like Ohio State basically picks their own wide receivers while everyone else tries to recruit them. So you have some talent coming in. Obviously, it helps, too, to gain Eric Hall at tight end, where Iowa, I think we're going to be seeing a lot of 12 personnel from the Hawkeyes, maybe even some 22 personnel. So you could be seeing a lot of tight end groups that will alleviate some of the pressure. Could it be better? I think there's certainly reasons for optimism, especially when you have Deontay Vines potentially with a fully healthy season. It's kind of a wild concept. Like, that could be a game changer. There are reasons to be optimistic, but yeah, I haven't seen enough to definitively say, okay, this is going to be a stellar wide receiver room so much better than Iowa fans have seen before.
0: Well, and I think part of that might be, and I was trying to tell Ben this, is McNamara the best quarterback Iowa's had in 20 years? I mean, will he turn out to be, he was Michigan starter, took him to the playoff, what, two years ago? I mean, he's going to make a huge impact <clears throat> On those wide receivers, right?
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Where you're not going to have, I don't think, nearly as many wide open receivers that are missed. And that was something that happened a lot in the Spencer Petrus era. As nice of a guy as Spencer Petrus was, it's just hard when you're missing those open throws. And Cade McNamara is not C.J. Stroud. There's a reason why he lost that quarterback job to J.J. McCarthy. At Michigan but he's still a lot better than to your point than what Iowa has seen in recent history and you have to go quite a quite a ways back not 20 years but you have to go quite a ways back to even find a quarterback who went a full season completing more than 60 percent of their passes as a starting quarterback and Cade has done that at Michigan of course he did that with a Joe Moore award-winning offensive line ahead of him which will pose an interesting question. But even if he just has somewhat similar-ish numbers to what he did at Michigan, that's still a significant upgrade for Iowa. And he does what Iowa needs in terms of if you were trying to write down the characteristics that you want out of an Iowa quarterback and you wrote down on a separate list the characteristics that Cade McNamara has, there's a lot of overlap between those two lists.
1: Yeah, and everybody needs to keep in mind where Iowa's coming from. We've had like a, a 1970s Pinto, and even if it's a 2012 Nissan Sentra, I mean, we'll be pretty stoked. It's the reality. So the last thing on the offense, I, we I all assume and believe tight ends gonna be a strength. We have confidence in Luke Lachey and Eric Hall. Question is, how much of a strength's gonna be the, you know, gold standard for Iowa for two tight ends is gonna be T.J. Hawkinson and Noah Fant, the best tandem. Is it to, are there Any hope that they rival those two? You mentioned 12 and 22 personnel. They're going to try to get them both on the field an awful lot. Am I being too optimistic and hoping that they're comparable to those two guys?
2: Certainly, that's a high bar when you're looking at two guys who are both first-round picks. But I think it's not totally out of the realm of possibility. And I think the really intriguing thing, too, is it's not just that you have all in Lachey. You also have Ostranga, who's done good things, is your number three guy. And Stylianos made some nice plays. He's your number four tight end. So you look at that depth of the room, I don't think you're gonna see 14 personnel. So you're gonna have some limitations there, but I think this is a very talented tight end room again, especially when you give Luke Lachey another year to develop after he kind of burst onto the scene. So you have him, you have an experienced tight end with Eric Hall, who has chemistry already with Cade McNamara. Yeah, this could potentially be, now is it can be exactly Hawkinson-Fant 2.0, that's a pretty high bar, but you could see some Hawkinson-Fant feel to it just in terms of how productive this group could potentially be. We'd be happy for Hawkinson-Fant for sure. Yeah, I think any Iowa fan would take that,
0: and this group could do it. Okay. Are there any uh, like defensive standouts that maybe we don't know their names yet that you think might jump up as we move through the season? A name
2: that I'm going to be really curious to watch is Y.A. Black on the defensive line. He has the first team role right now in the depth chart in place of Noah Shannon, and he's been a guy that's had just terrible luck with injuries. But he is like a physical beast. When you look at this guy, you say, man, if I was an offensive lineman, I would not want to be going up against him. So what can he do with a fully healthy season? I think is going to be really intriguing. Aaron Graves is somebody that I think you have a lot of the expectations around because he was such a well-regarded recruit where the Max Preps National Male Athlete of the Year, you're talking about a really good athlete there who did good things as a true freshman last year. Those are two names. One name with YA Black that I don't think is as much on fans' radars as Aaron Graves' is. But I think both of those players are going to be really fascinating to watch with that role. I'm going to be curious to see at the linebacker position a guy like Kyler Fisher, who his role has been largely on special teams. Now he gets a little more of an opportunity considering that Iowa lost Jack Campbell, they lost Seth Benson, they lost Justin Jacobs. It's easy to forget about Jacobs because he's hurt for almost all of last year. But that's somebody that you thought you were going to have, that you're basically losing three guys, Seth Benson not making onto a 53-man roster, but three guys that are at least getting a training camp spot in the NFL. Most likely, Justin Jacobs, we're going to be hearing that. And Jack Campbell, obviously an NFL guy. So you're losing three really quality guys. You have that opportunity for Kyler Fisher. That's going to be a name to keep an eye on, I think, as well. And I'll be curious to see, maybe, does a TJ Hall or Cohen Entringer or Deshaun Lee, maybe do they step up in the secondary if you have an injury? They could all of a sudden become a really important part of this defense.
1: So, a follow-up, then, on the secondary. I think some of the concern is maybe the depth there. I think at the the top, we're not worried. Obviously, Cooper DeGene is incredible. Uh, All hyperbole applies, but I'm thinking specifically of the Nebraska game last year. We lose DeGene, and it was very clear that there were guys that came in and weren't quite just ready, weren't quite able to be in the right spots and do their – has that been fixed? Is it still a concern that if somebody goes down, they're going to have to go to a depth guy who's maybe not quite ready again? There was a lot of reason for optimism with what
2: we saw at that kids day practice. Granted, that's one practice. It's a small sample size. It's the only public sample size though at Iowa. So within that small sample size, they did some really impressive things. And that gave me a reason for optimism that, okay, maybe these guys who were kind of thrown right into the fire as second teamers last year as true freshmen, now that they've got a year under their belt, okay, it's unrealistic to expect somebody to take a jump like what DeJean took. Sure. But you look at it, maybe can they you know, be more effective and at least not a liability like it seemed to be with that Nebraska game where Nebraska knew just to exploit that. I don't think that you're going to have that this year, but that's going to be huge because injuries happen. Jamari Harris, Terry Roberts last year, Terry Roberts – Riley Moss or portions of the year before you can kind of go down the list injuries happen and you're going to need somebody like a Deshaun Lee or a TJ Hall to step up. And I think there's reason to see that happen potentially.
0: Uh, Sir, I was just going to move like big picture, looking at the schedule, no Ohio state, no Michigan, you have Penn state and Wisconsin on the road for Iowa. Uh, Is it just like wide open for them to have a great season? I, I mean, I'm seeing a pretty easy schedule for the most part. Yeah, like
2: you could potentially have a 10-win team that has the worst schedule for a 10-win team in the Big Ten, like ever potentially, where you just look at how weak the rest of the West is even, like let alone the skipping Ohio State and Michigan on the schedule. You look at it, Northwestern is obviously going through a lot of turmoil. Wisconsin is a coaching change. They have a lot of talent. There at Camp Randall, but they're going through a coaching change and a schematic change is pretty significant. You've got Purdue is going through a coaching change, Nebraska is going through a coaching change. You only have two other coaches who are incumbents in the Big Ten West, with that being PJ Flack and Brett Bielema. So you have so much change in the Big Ten West. And then, as you mentioned, not playing Ohio State, not playing Michigan, playing Penn State is me really hard. That's me the hardest game of the year. Penn State is a preseason top 10 team. And when you look at who they have, you see why pretty quickly. So that one's a hard one. But this seems to be Iowa's division to lose, at least in my opinion. I know a lot of my media colleagues across the conference are higher on Wisconsin than I am. I just see that coaching transition as an impediment year one to them really reaching the promised land. But I think it's Iowa's to lose. You know, we plan travel well in advance, and I have granted at the refundable rate. I am not prepaying, but we do have a hotel reserved for Big Ten Championship weekend These I think it is a very realistic chance of going to Indianapolis. Wow. Certainly, no guarantee. You know, I can hit cancel until like three days in advance or something. So. But Man, it putting is putting something his money that where his mouth is in the is. conversation. Okay.
0: John Stephy has his ticket punched. It's going on the bulletin board across the Big Ten. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I have to say, last year I was waffling the over/under for Iowa, and I, everything you said gave me pause and convinced me to pick the under. And now you've got me hyped to pick the over. Um, you've gotten me pumped Well, I think up. isn't it still eight and a half? I think is the yeah. It was seven and a half earlier in the summer, and I think it moved up towards the end. I think Iowa State's trouble. That's a game that. Went from a coin flip to probably Iowa is a bigger favorite. You know, that's kind of changed, that shifted a a bit. I would Um, not be surprised to see a nine and three
2: season. I think this team is very capable of 10 and two. Inevitably, I think you lose a couple games that you're not supposed to lose. I think nine and three can still get you winning the West this year. And then, okay, whoever you're facing in Indy, I think is going to be a tough game. But sure. even if you lose that game, you can still get to a pretty good bowl game, most likely someplace in the very warm climate. So I don't mind the warm climate in December. That's for sure.
1: Uh, great. No, that's uh, so you, you heard it here, folks. One last question. Got to talk special teams, even though we kind of know. I mean, I assume Cooper DeGene's returning punts. We've got Tory Taylor. Who's going to be returning kickoffs? That's the one question. Is it Caleb? Is it going to be Caleb Johnson? Um, the- he would be an option. Caleb Brown is an option. There are a lot of
2: people that they could put there. Um, we might see a couple different people. Um, so that's one spot that I haven't spent as much attention to as much as other special or other positions just because Iowa's special teams unit has deserved a level of benefit of the doubt that you just don't usually see. But I think what you saw from Caleb Johnson was really promising what Keo brown could do i keep on getting reminded oh yeah and he can play special teams too so you've got some options there for sure at kickoff return i'll be curious to see who ends up being the ones come saturday okay but all the other spots yeah you don't really have any concerns when you have punter back kicker back even long snapper back like when you've got that full trio back yeah you don't have too many questions with specialty
0: are there any teams other than wisconsin and penn state that you're you know think maybe could cause some trouble to to iowa's 10 and 2 or 9 and 3 season
2: i think illinois could potentially be a team that maybe people don't give a ton of attention to because they've had some turnover obviously they don't have chase brown anymore who is a fantastic running back really a thorn in the side of every big 10 team So they're a team that could maybe be tricky. Um, Is this finally the year that Minnesota takes the pig? I don't think so, but that could be a competitive game. It's historically been a competitive game. So we'll see there. But I really look at those two teams in terms of people that have incumbent coaches Obviously, Nebraska is a tough place to play. I think that this Nebraska team is probably still a couple of years from being competitive at an Iowa level. I think Matt Rule is a player or as a coach, excuse me, that can get those players up to speed faster than others. But that could be a game that's competitive. Just because you think about there have been some really bad Nebraska teams that have been at least competitive with Iowa yeah. in that series. But is that team strong enough to hold out for four quarters against Iowa? We'll see on Black Friday. But, yeah, I think particularly within the division and particularly with the two teams that have returning head coaches and particularly Illinois in particular, I think that could be an intriguing matchup outside the Wisconsin game that I think has gotten a lot of hype outside Penn State, which obviously when you're playing at a top 10 team,
1: those are hard games. We're just yeah. lock it in as a loss, and I'll be happy, happy, and surprised to be wrong. Uh.
0: But I'm with you. I don't see the Wisconsin hype. I don't, I don't quite understand it. Um, I, when we, you know, we've talked to to Wisconsin expert, and I still don't get it. I, I'm not, not tracking it.
2: Yeah, and you look at it. If the air raid works well, if they can find a way to effectively use Braylon Allen in a more spread like system where he has more space to run. There's potential there, and you have a lot of returning players there. You've got a talented quarterback coming in. You have reasons for optimism there, but it's also a new system, and a new system at a place where they've recruited talent that don't necessarily – you're kind of trying to fit one jigsaw piece into the other in terms of these are a lot of players recruited to play under a different system. Than now what they're trying to implement, and you're gonna have some
1: growing pains with that. You heard it here, folks. Wisconsin's overhyped. Nebraska's a couple years away. The Gophers aren't gonna get it done for was it the ninth straight time, Eric? I don't know. How, I'm losing. I'm losing. I can't it. count that. So high. Count. It's getting too high. John's already booked his ticket to Indianapolis. It's refundable though, so do not. I take no
2: liability <laughs> if they don't make it. And if people book non-refundable travel, that is not. You are not doing that upon advice of me, but it is realistic enough that I at least have the reservation there. Fantastic. John, thank
1: you for coming in and chatting with us. And I'm glad to deliver good news. I'm you know, just a messenger, but it was a nice message. So fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Always a pleasure.